So when was the last time that you got stuck? There are lots of terrible places to be stranded. For example, 2008, there was a man in New York City who was stuck in an elevator for 41 hours. Sounds awful. <laughs> have you been stuck on an airplane before? Uh, I, I, you probably have. I've been stuck on an airplane while it's sitting on the tarmac. It's pulled away from the gate, but for some reason they can't take off, and you end up sitting there for hours, going nowhere, doing nothing. And, and when that's happened to me, it, it, it's usually also the case that for whatever reason, it's the baby flight. It's the flight full of children under the age of like three, and they have had enough. And then there's COVID. You know, so many of us were stuck because of COVID, stuck in our homes, stuck working from home, or stuck in quarantine, stuck in your bedroom where there's nothing to do but watch Netflix and think about how you're going to repay the person that coughed on you. At one time, I was stuck in New Orleans. Uh, not a terrible place to get stuck if you have to be. I was stuck there because there was a snowstorm back home where we lived at the time that was preventing me from traveling back. And so I remember while I was stuck, I was killing some time. I was walking down Bourbon Street, decided to get some beignets. And I took a photo of my beignets and coffee that I was enjoying. And I sent it, I texted it to my wife, Lisa, who was back home. And I captioned it, killing time. Killing time. Within five seconds, she texted me a picture of the sidewalk that she had just completed shoveling, 36 inches of snow. And her caption was a little different, although similar, a little different. I said, killing time. She simply wrote, I'm going to kill you. I didn't bring her home any beignets. <laughs> we all know what it's like to be stuck somewhere. And what I'm talking about today is not being stuck at the airport or stuck in the elevator. I'm talking about those seasons where you are, you are stuck in life in something difficult. You are dealing with chronic illness or there is some, some financial strain or uh, there is a problem in your marriage or there is stress at work. Uh, whatever it is, it's not ideal and you, and you don't see it finishing quickly or, or, or anytime soon. You feel stuck in it. And as you look at that particular situation that you're stuck in, all you can think of is, I can't live like this and I can't stay here for long, but I don't know if we're getting out of this anytime quick. But you know what it's like to be in a bad, difficult, downright stuck season, don't you? We're continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul is writing to this young church and to a church in Laodicea, combating some, some misinformation that they've received about who Jesus is. And so Paul writes this letter, he sends this letter to them to, to make this point abundantly clear, that Jesus is Lord over everything. Now, the reason Paul has to write a letter is because Paul himself is stuck. Paul himself is stuck in prison. Uh, we believe it was house arrest where he would have been literally chained to the floor or tethered to a wall, so closely tied to the floor or to a wall that he's not able to write this letter with his own hands. He has to have an assistant come in. He's allowed visitation and write it for him. Paul is stuck. He's chained to the wall, chained to the floor because he's been telling people about Jesus. A little bit of context, there was, there was severe racial tension between the Jewish people and Gentiles. 
Specifically, the Jewish people took issue with, with Paul preaching the message that, that, that Jesus is Lord over everything and everyone, even the Gentiles, inviting them into God's family. The Jewish people were offended by that. They, they wanted that to stop, and so they were attacking and persecuting Paul. But also there were Gentile believers, not Gentile believers, but there were Gentiles who, for whom their entire economic structure was built around the pagan religious system. And so they saw Gentile converts to Christianity as a threat to their livelihood. And so Gentiles were persecuting Paul as well. He was, he was being attacked and persecuted from, from all these different directions. And so eventually some local authorities get a hold of Paul because they want to quiet all the craziness and they put him under house arrest. They chain him to the floor. And while Paul is chained away, these false teachers come into these young churches because Paul can't show up and defend himself. They show up to these young churches and they try to undermine Paul's influence. And they say things like this. Uh, if your pastor really loved you, where is he? Why isn't he here? Don't you think he would show up? Or once they got word of his arrest, they would say things like this. So he's a messenger from God. He's telling you about who Jesus is. And yet God has allowed him to be imprisoned. And you're going to believe his message? What kind of man of God gets imprisoned? And so Paul is writing to help the, the early church understand his situation to give context to it, but also to tell them not just that Jesus is Lord over everything, contrary to what these false teachers are saying, but that Jesus is Lord even over his specific difficult situation. Jesus is Lord even over his imprisonment and his difficulty. And that's the, that's the note of encouragement for you and me this morning from this particular text. Because if it's true for Paul, then it's also true for us. I want you to capture this idea if you take away anything from our time together today. The idea is this. Jesus is still Lord even in my struggle. Jesus is still Lord even in and even as I struggle. Now, why is it important for us to be reminded of that? Well, well three quick reasons why it's important for us to hold tight to that truth and be reminded of it today. The first is that it's important for us to be reminded of that so that we get our Christology correct, that we have a right view of who Jesus is. Paul went to great lengths in this letter to remind the Colossians that Jesus was not just a good teacher or a good guy, but he, that he, he was God himself. The fullness of God was within Christ, and he reigns and rules over everything. And if Jesus Christ is God reigning and ruling over all things, and he's worthy of our praise, and he's worthy of our trust, not just in the good things, but even in, perhaps you could argue, especially in what? The bad things. Secondly, it's, it's important for us to be reminded that, that Jesus is still Lord even over our struggle because it helps us be a good neighbor to the people around us as we are struggling. Here's what I mean by that. Very often... When we are struggling, we make other people suffer. As you're going through a difficult time, a dark season, it not only affects us, but it flows through us to the people around us. If you're unable to frame your difficult season in any kind of positive light, odds are you're not going to be pleasant to be around. As Richard Rohr once said, 
The bad things that you don't transform, you will transmit. The difficulties that you don't find a way to transform, you will transmit. And third, it's important for us to hold tight to this truth because it is, it is critical for our emotional and spiritual well-being. It's very easy for us when we're in difficult seasons to, be the diffi- to, to, to allow the difficulty to be the only thing that we see. It's easy for me when, when I'm stuck in the middle of something difficult to not just say, well, this is where I am right now, but it colors the past and it colors the future. It very quickly becomes all that ever has been, all that there is, and all that there will be. It's all bad. But it is good for us, as God did with Job in the Old Testament, to awaken us to the truth that our pain is not the whole story. Our problem is not all that there is. And when we start to think that way, it's really bad for us spiritually, emotionally, and otherwise. It's good for us to have our eyes lifted up to the truth that there is more to the story of the world than the pain that we are going through and that there is always a reason for hope. Always a reason for hope. That's why it's important for us to hold tight to this truth that Jesus is still Lord even when you're stuck in struggle. Now, let's look at what Paul in particular teaches us as he gives light to his own situation in these 11 verses. And I've got, I've got four things quickly to pass along to you. And the first is this. What we see in Paul's teaching is this. He holds tight to this truth that Jesus is still Lord, and so there's always a reason to rejoice. Jesus is still Lord, even in my struggle, so that there is always a reason to rejoice. Look at what he says. This is how he starts this particular section at verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I, th- I think they're annoying too. The... Uh, the glass half full kind of people. You know the people who no matter what happens, they're instantly putting a positive spin on it. They total their car and they're like, within five seconds, you know, I was looking for more reason to walk. Like, whatever. I find those people annoying too. And I will admit that Paul is doing a bit of that in this text when he says, I rejoice in my suffering for you. Now, how is Paul able to get there? Paul's able to get there because, you see the next line, he sees a purpose in his suffering. Part of believing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all things is confessing that he's Lord over and in the bad things and he can use and is using everything. And so Paul chooses to lean onto that truth, lean into that truth that, look, Jesus is Lord of everything, so he must be Lord of this, which means he must be working in and through this for some good that I may not be able to perceive. But Paul can, in fact, perceive the good that Jesus is doing through his persecution and through his being imprisoned. He sees it as directly affecting positively the spread of the message of Jesus and the growth of the church. Paul says, Jesus is using this to grow the church, and so I can't help but rejoice. And the same is true in your season of being stuck in struggle. If Jesus is Lord, then he's at work. You may not be able to see it as clearly as Paul did. In fact, oftentimes you won't be able to draw a direct line between the difficult situation you're in and what Jesus is doing for the good of somebody else and for his glory through it. Sometimes you will. You'll be able to go, oh, 
I see what he's up to. Yes, this is horrible, but I know that God is up to this thing through this. Wonderful. And it will carry you through. But very often you won't be able to see it. It'll be like a pilot flying in the clouds and you have to just read the gauges and trust your training. But that's what Paul decides to do. To trust in the promise that because Jesus is in control of all things, he must be at work in this thing. And if he's at work for his glory and the good of somebody else through his suffering, then there is a reason to rejoice. You know, in difficult situations, there is, there's very often not an explanation as to why you're going through it. But there is always for people of faith an invitation. An invitation to see it through the lens of the lordship of Jesus Christ who is promising to utilize all things for his glory and the good of others. And if you're able to hold tight to that truth that Jesus is still Lord and he's still at work even in being stuck and struggling, then you will have a reason to rejoice because Jesus is doing something that only he can do in and through this. And that's reason enough. I'm not saying you got to walk around happy. I'm stuck and struggling. Don't be phony. Be a person of faith. I'm stuck. I'm struggling. Jesus is still God. He's at work. And I can't see what he's doing, but I know he's up to something good. And so I give him praise. Second thing we see in Paul is that if Jesus is still Lord, when I'm stuck and I'm struggling, then there is power to be experienced and received. There is power to be experienced and received. There is power to be found. Look at what he says in verse 29. He says, for all of this I toil, here's the key, struggling with all his, that's a reference to Christ, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word that Paul uses for energy is the same word in Greek that's used to describe the effort and the energy put forward by an athlete as he or she strives toward winning in a competition. So what Paul is actually saying here more specifically is this. In, in the same way that an athlete finds that miraculous second or third wind as, as they press towards the finish line, there is a strength that is given to me that comes straight from Jesus that allows me to endure. Last week we recognized Pentecost. Pentecost is the, the celebration of the reception of the Holy Spirit. And, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit is a promise. It's a promise that God's people will never be without power. That everyone who's baptized into Jesus Christ not only is covered in forgiveness, but is given the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question that we have to ask is, what does that power look like when it manifests in us? What are we given that power for? You see, many of us have a very naive understanding of what it means to be strong. So my son is seven years old, and he's at the stage where he wants to beat up his dad all the time. He calls it wrestling, but really, he just wants to see if he can punch me and hurt me. And so every single night, we're wrestling. Every single night. And if I say no to wrestling on a particular night, I'll hear about it the rest of the night. So we might as well wrestle. And so every single night, I pin him down to the ground, and then I lift him up, and I spin him around, and I shake him, and then I throw him onto the couch, and we do it over and over and over again, basically until it's time for bed. Now, what I love about it is that my son is at the stage where he still thinks that I have supernatural strength. 
If, if you were to ask him if his dad could lift the house off of its foundation, he would 100% say, yes, I could. Ask my teenage daughter, she would tell you, no, I cannot. But my son has this very naive view of what it means to be strong. His understanding of strength is the ability to exert your will upon something and get your way by sheer brute force. And many of us have a similar view of strength. What it means to be strong is the ability to get your way through your own exertion of your effort and your power and your energy. That's what strong people can do. But that's not the kind of strength that the Holy Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit is not there to help you be empowered to get out of your situation or to exert your will upon it and dramatically change it. Because sometimes you just can't change it. You know what the Holy Spirit is there to empower you to do? The Holy Spirit gives you the power to believe, the power to trust in the face of your physical weakness, in the moment of emotional distress, in the time where your flesh is failing and people are faltering all around you. It's the ability to hold on to and confess the fact that Jesus is still King, Jesus is still Lord, and if he's still Lord over all things, then he can see me through and help me to endure breath by breath, moment by moment, step by step through this thing. That's the strength that the Holy Spirit gives. And that's the strength that is promised to you. Third thing we see with Paul is this truth, that if Jesus is still Lord, then even in my struggle, there are people to encourage. If Jesus is still Lord, even in my struggle, then there are people to encourage. I told you at the beginning that Jesus is always at work in our struggles, often in ways in which we can't see, and often you will not be able to see what he's up to. But there is one thing you can know for sure and for certain, that if you're a follower of Jesus and you are in a stuck, struggling, difficult season, that Jesus wants you to take whatever encouragement you have, whatever strength you've been given, whatever promises you've been handed that you hold on tight to, so that you can make sense of the world and just keep going. He wants you to utilize those things to encourage somebody other than yourself. That that encouragement and strength and those truths that uphold you don't just stay with you, but they flow through you to somebody else. That's what we see Paul doing. Paul is talking about all of this strength and all of this power and all of this encouragement that he receives. But what does he do? He says, I'm using all of it to encourage you. Look at this. Picking up in chapter 2, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I am struggling, but it's for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not yet seen me face to face. Here's why I'm struggling. Here's why I'm going through this. That their hearts, your heart, may be encouraged. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's ultimate aim is to encourage the churches in Colossae and Laodicea as they face persecution of their own, as false teachers show up and confuse them about Jesus. He wants to take whatever he's been given and give it to them. He's stuck. He's in prison. He's chained to the floor, but he still thinks he's got something to give to encourage somebody else. One of my favorite authors 
is the late Henry Nouwen. And, and Henry was known in his writing for being uh, in, incredibly vulnerable about his own wrestlings and his own struggles. And in one of his books, he writes about the tremendous grief that he experienced when his mother passed away and how completely out of sorts he was in mourning her passing. And one of his readers came up to him once and said, you know, Henry, why are you so transparent about your pains and your difficulties in your writing? And this is what Henry said, and it's just always resonated with me. He said this, I try to turn my personal struggles into something helpful for others. Now, that idea sounds so simple and so obvious, but so often we don't do it. We turn our troubles into idols that we can hold to. We turn it into leverage for sympathy. We turn it into a whole bunch of things other, other than the ability to bless somebody else. But, but it makes sense that people who follow Jesus would do this. I mean, what else can we do? We, we are saved by a man who, who through losing won it all for us who through suffering and death won forgiveness for us. He went through the worst to give us the best. And now having the best, salvation and forgiveness and confidence of where we're going and what's to come, doesn't it make sense that when we are suffering, when we're going through the worst, we would say, well, there's still something good that I can give in this to somebody else. Because after all, what have I received? But Jesus Christ going through the worst, giving me the best. So now as I go through the worst, and because I reflect him to the world, as I go through the worst, there's something best still that I can give to somebody else. When we're stuck in a season of struggle, one of the things we like to do is ask questions. We like to ask questions, well, why is this happening? What did I do to make God mad? How can I get out of this? All understandable questions. But I would encourage you to add another question to your repertoire. In fact, put it at the top of the list. When you're stuck and you're in a season of struggle, ask this question. Who can I help while I'm here? Who might I help while I'm here? I've got one more for you. If Jesus is still Lord, even in my struggle then what it means for you, what it means for me, what it meant for Paul is that my situation is not my destination. And I know that rhymes and it's kind of cheesy, but it's so good. My situation is not my destination. When you read Colossians, Paul talks all the time about the future. He talks about a future visit with this church and with others. And then he talks about the ultimate future when Christ returns and, and fixes all that's still broken and we live in a flesh and blood reality that's perfect with one another and with him. He talks about the future over and over again. Now remember, as Paul talks about the future, how I'm gonna see you and we're gonna experience this, Paul is chained to the floor. As he talks about the future, he is unbelievably confident that he has a future beyond his imprisonment, beyond his present circumstance, chained to the floor. And he's like, you know what? When we get together, when I come and see you, let's go out to eat, okay? <laughs> you got bigger problems right now, dude. But he is so confident of the future to come that it shapes everything that he sees. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit, too. The ability to see that your situation in Jesus Christ is not your ultimate destination. 
And if you are here this morning and you find yourself in one of those seasons of being stuck, then, then of all the things you take away today, I want you to take away that. That you can, you are invited into, you can have, you're invited into the same perspective as Paul because you have the same Jesus, you are filled with the same Holy Spirit, you are covered in the exact same promises. Go ahead and plan for a future where the darkness is done. Go ahead and anticipate a party where the struggle is over. It may not come tomorrow. It may not come until Jesus Christ comes back, okay? But because you're in Jesus Christ, you have a different future, a different destination than whatever your situation is now. Just as Jesus Christ rose victorious out of his tomb for you, the stone will roll away from your situation and you will walk into something new and something better and something greater. That is the promise for all those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is okay for you to believe that, to hold tight to that, and to drive hope from that because Jesus Christ has shed his own blood and risen from the dead to give you that hope and give you that confidence. And let that truth shape how you see your situation. Because of Jesus Christ, where I am is not where I end up. Where I am is not where I end up. Not at all. Your situation is not your destination. Because you are in Christ Jesus. I want to leave you with the words of Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy is one of the great... Theologians and writers of the 20th century, if you're not familiar with her, you should be familiar with her. She is incredible. She wrote a series of, of essays. She also wrote some short stories and novels. Uh, but she wrote one essay called The Greatest Drama Ever Played. And she talks about the incarnation, the taking on of flesh, being born of Jesus, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what she says about the incarnation, about Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, coming to dwell with us. Listen to what she says. She says, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he's not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain. Here's the key. And he did it all for us. And he thought it was well worth his while. Whatever difficulties you endure in this sin-sick and broken world, Jesus Christ has endured them too. He has been where you are stuck. You want to talk about being stuck? Talk to Jesus about being born in a barn. My goodness. Whatever difficulties you endure, he has endured on your behalf, and he thought it well worth his while. May that truth empower you and give peace to you Whatever is being endured by you, may you be upheld and encouraged by, by the truth of what he has endured for you. You're stuck in struggle, but may you bless somebody other than yourself because there's blessings to give. You're stuck in struggle, and may you experience the power that only the Holy Spirit can provide to help you hold on. You're stuck in struggle, but may you know 
But there is always a reason to rejoice because Jesus is at work in this, even if you can't make sense of this. And may you know, may you know that your situation, whatever it is, is never your ultimate destination because you belong to Jesus Christ. May that give you peace and joy. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I recognize that it is so often easier said than done for us to, to take Paul's same attitude when we are stuck and struggling, to rejoice and to know that there's power and that there's purpose and that, and that we will get to the other side of this. It can be a tall ask, but, but, but Father, it's where you tell us to aim. I pray specifically for anyone in here today who feels like they are stuck in trouble, in weakness, in difficulty. May they feel seen by you through the words that have been spoken today. May they hear you calling them by name and saying to them, I see you and I love you and I've not forgotten you and all of this is true for you. My spirit is within you. I'm at work on your behalf and I will not let this thing you're in be the end of your story. May they hear you speaking those words to them. And though they are stuck, may they be filled with some semblance of joy. In Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.